What's up, everyone? I'm Scott. And I'm Amy. And this is Ranked, a podcast where we rank top tens of film, TV, music, and everything in between. And today we're talking snow movies, ice cold, sub-zero wind, freezing, everything's on the table. It's January. We're in the Northeast. We finally got some snow. Right off the top, Amy, I got to ask you, though. Um, when it comes to winter, dark, cold, brooding, is that your season or are you more of like a tropical gal? So I love that transition from summer to fall. I am that person that doesn't like it so hot that I'm just sweating in humidity all the time because we don't live near a beach. So (laughs) it makes it a little more difficult to want to be in that hot climate, but I also don't like it when it gets too cold to snow. So Snowy time, I do like. I liked uh, walking my dog, who he loves the snow, hates the rain. I don't know what it is about the wetness of the rain versus wetness of the snow, but I had him out earlier. He's been bouncing around, and uh, I I don't mind shoveling. I actually find it to be a great workout, so that was my workout for the day. So I'm ready, and I, I didn't realize how many movies I actually like that have snow and ice involved in them, so that was a cool take for this week. How about you, Scott? I know you're you're a Christmas person, but are you also a winter person? I've started to kind of the, the winters around here in the Northeast have started to feel very southy over the years. So they're like, <laughs> it's just it's just disgusting anymore. I used to love when I, I used to play a lot of ball in the summer and I used to love summer. But as it starts getting towards like mid-July, late July, August, it's just gross. And I'm ready for the fall. I love the fall. <laughs> I used to hate the winter and I still kind of don't like it. I have a, I'm a January birthday and it is, I'm just used to it being snow and dumpy and cold and gray, which is not ideal. I always loved to like, you know, snow for like Christmas, but January's just rough. And yeah, I mean, not my favorite. I, I, I like snow every once in a while. I don't, I don't mind it being colder now, but it's like, I'm, I don't want, I don't want 72 days of it. <laughs> yeah, we did, and we did, when we decided to pick this, it's, I kind of felt the same as you. Like, I started going through the list, and I was like, "There's," I was like, "Wow, there's a ton of movies that are just completely snowed out, revolve around winter or just sub-zero weather." And just you know, just just for clarity purposes, we we did talk about how we had a lot of movies that had good scenes and good snow scenes, or even like some that were like very famous. This is basically going to be movies that strictly revolve around the cold, uh, snow, ice, winter, the whole movie. Like, it wouldn't work if it was another season. These are all just snow movies, snowed out movies, right? Yeah, and you know what's fun is, like, I didn't realize how fun these movies can be, too. I mean, some of them are pretty dark. I don't want to give away anything on my list, but uh, January especially is just a wild card on what's going to happen. Uh, weather-wise, life-wise, people are, you know, starting a new year, but it's also kind of like, do do you start a new year when you're still frigid and grumpy a little bit? Or do you move into that fun new year when it starts to warm up? But a lot of these movies just have really cool action scenes or funny scenes or things you can do in winter that, you know, it makes me appreciate it a lot more. Yeah, I, I love very dark brooding movies, so that might be giving away some of my list, but, and there's some that are just a wild good time. 
<laughs> yeah, this is gonna this is this is gonna be a this is gonna be a fun one. We and we always talk about you know we we personally usually talk about off mic about how much crossover we can have, and we've mentioned it a couple times. But I know. this one will be interesting to see actually how much crossover because there there are a lot of movies, but I, there could be a lot of uh, shared uh, shared spots on here. So we'll yeah, see how and, it goes. and for our listeners, so if this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, uh, Scott and I do not share lists ahead of time. So we are just a surprise when we tell each other what's on our list. Um, we've had it happen one time where we've had two things at the same numbers on our list, which just totally blew our minds. We were not expecting that. And we may also do some spoilers. So if you haven't seen some of the movies on the list, we may go a little more into it than if you were somebody who doesn't like to know what's going to happen. Maybe just fast forward a little bit and then come back to that part of the episode after you watch it and like see what you think about it. Uh, but there may be some spoilers along when we talk about these movies. Yeah, there's no way to talk about a lot of these without talking about <laughs> what makes them fun and why we return to them. And a lot, especially these when they're more of like a specific topic, you really have to get at why the movie is about that topic. And a lot of times it's it's full spoiler. So, yeah, if, if anybody yeah. hasn't seen a lot of these, you can just kind of hit that little 15 second tab as needed. Um, but yeah, anything else you want to touch on with the winter snow movies before we uh, dig in top tens? I think it's time to just dive right in, Scott. You want to kick us off? Yeah, yeah, I, I can't wait. I like <laughs> right off the bat. I love I love this first one. I, and there's like a fun thing I'll talk about with this first one. So number 10. You is, love your uh, number 10. This is going to be crazy. <laughs> I, 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 this was a hard list. This was a hard list because. Like I said, like we said, there was a lot of fun ones. And I'm like, this one I've seen a couple times. And it's just, these are just so easy to watch. But yeah, number 10 is uh, Cold Pursuit. It's on Netflix. Okay. Liam Neeson. Um, directed yes, by Norwegian filmmaker. Yeah, there you go. Directed by Norwegian filmmaker Hans Petter Milan, who actually re... This was like his American version of his own film, which was pretty, which was pretty cool. And as, he's not the first person to do that. Action thriller. Liam Neeson, Emmy Rossum, Laura Dern, uh, Dominic Lombardozzi, who's in everything. I love him. And um, real quick, like this is like Netflix needs to have their own categories, like their own category that's just called like Liam Neeson cooking or give Liam Neeson a job <laughs> because he's got 50 of these movies where he just needs something to do and he needs to go seek revenge. You, you could, you know, there, there's there's plenty of these. There's nonstop where he's on the plane. There's like three Taken movies, and, you name it. And, and and this is like he's a he, so this whole this whole movie is just Liam Neeson. He's a snow plow truck driver, and he has to seek revenge on cartel members who killed his son. And that's it. That's the movie. And, and I'm like, I sign me up, take my money. I'll watch a hundred of these as long as Liam Neeson is in it. And he's got a job. Doesn't make it be a janitor. He could be a school teacher. He could be a bus driver. It put Liam Neeson in a movie. Do something wrong to him so he has to go seek revenge and then get out of the way and let Neeson cook. That should be the Netflix category that you could scroll to. And it's just 30 movies watching Neeson cook. I love I love this. I love these type of movies. They they'll they always work for me. Yeah, you'd think people would learn not to take somebody or kill somebody that's a Liam Neeson person in, in any way. Leave but don't, Liam don't Neeson alone. But don't forget Qui-Gon Jinn, Scott. <laughs> Qui-Gon Jinn, episode one, yeah. Star Wars. Yeah. He ruled. Great, great lightsaber scene with Darth Maul, everything. 
I, I got to touch back on the Star Wars. That's going to be a, another topic for us. Oh, just you wait. <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah, I, I, I love the, I love these movies. They're, they, they always work. It doesn't matter. They're always like an hour and 20 minutes, hour, and 30 minutes. They're in and out. And, you know, leave Liam Neeson alone, but also don't make sure he's upset, angry, and he's got to go do something wrong to somebody. So that's my well, number I feel 10. Like for our Cold generation, pursuit. I feel like for our generation, it gives us that like 90s action movie that, you know, growing Definitely. up in that era, I feel like you understand it or you're you have this connection to it much more. And those any movie that Liam Neeson's in just takes me back to that feeling of like, there's just going to be some action. It's going to kick right off pretty quickly. There might be a little bit of a backstory in there somewhere, but the action scenes will always be dope when it's Liam Neeson. So be ready. I just love that somebody said, what else can we do for Liam Neeson? Well, we can make him a snow plow truck driver. <laughs> why, why not? Great action he sequences with the plow truck. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> That's my 10. What you got? Number 10. All right. Uh, so actually, my 10 opens up with a comedy. Um, it's one of those comedies that came out in the early 2000s. I believe it was 2001. Uh, similar to the American Pie era, Van Wilder era. It's just one of those comedies that not everything holds up, but it still just has that that funny factor to it. It's a movie I like to watch when I might be having a bad day in some way, and I just want to watch something that's like silly funny that doesn't really have to do much for me other than that then make me laugh a little bit uh and it's called out cold have you seen this one scott no i know what you're talking about though i'm familiar <laughs> <laughs> so out cold is about a ski resort that's about to be sold to uh this conglomerate ski resort owner and the the little small town and the people that work at the ski resort are going to be replaced and none of them want this so they're fighting to keep it um, there's a lot of snowboarding scenes in it, which really make me like the movie a lot. Uh, the snowboarding's super cool. I, I tried snowboarding when I was younger, and I really liked it. Uh, I never stuck with it as an adult, but watching them do a lot of tricks in the snowboarding was super fun. Uh, there's a lot of music from that era, like the punk music that we used to always listen to. Uh, and it just it, it's just a fun movie. It's just fun to to carry on. There There's little side relationships happening. There's always somebody who's just very silly in it. They play, they drink, they play silly tricks on each other. It just, it just gets me laughing. It's 90 minutes or less, just a good one for just a little movie when I'm in a bad mood and just need, need some cheering up. I, I love going back to those. I love the American pies too. So like this just fits into that genre for me. Um, so that, that's my number 10. Yeah, I I don't I definitely missed that one. But in early two thousands, I mean that sounds about right. Who's in that? Remind me. Uh it's Jason London and then uh I can't remember the other main characters. He's the biggie in it, but there's a lot of different comedians that usually played side actor roles in other comedy movies or comedy shows. So they're they're they pick it up there, but yeah, that's that's the big name of it. J the the London twins back in the day, Jeremy and Jason. Oh boy, yeah, I haven't heard those names in ages. <laughs> yeah. Um okay, yeah. Um I'll jump in. Number nine um is two thousand eighteen crime thriller from Jeremy Saulnier called Hold the Dark. It's on Netflix as well. Ooh, I haven't seen, seen that this? one. Tell me about that one. No. So most people would know People that are into these types of movies and they're familiar with um, Jeremy Saunier's work would know him more from Green Room and um, Blue Ruin. 
Have you ever seen either one of those? Green Room is very fucked up and depraved, and he's he makes these types of movies. They're very dark. There's every once in a while, it's got like a little supernatural element to it. More so, hold the dark than the other two. Um, they're just they're twisted. They're you know they're crime thrillers, but a lot of psychological stuff going on, action. And um, this one is Jeffrey Wright, Alexander Skarsgård, um, James Batchdale, Riley Keough. Yeah, it's got a great cast. Um, this one didn't do as well as his other two. Um, mm-hmm. it, but it, it's, uh, it's in the Alaskan wild, and Jeffrey Wright plays kind of like a wolf whisperer who gets called to really the middle of nowhere. And uh, it's Riley Keough's character. They all calls him in, and and uh, he basically has to solve this what would appear to be a disappearance of her children by wolves. And you know, as the movie gets going, you realize there's a lot just under the surface, and it's dark, and it's it's just depraved, and it just it it doesn't quite totally get there, like from a story standpoint. But there's also like two kind of little sub things in here where one is Jeffrey Wright is like head to toe, and you know just Gore-Tex and he's got the rifle over the shoulder. All these movies kind of need a guy like that. You kind of need a guy just trekking through the woods that's got a rifle and he's just looking for something. Big trope in these movies. Always works. You always got to have a guy like that just looking for shit. Um, and the other one is, I, I, don't, I don't know why, even though we've reaped the benefits, but Alexander Skarsgård, aside from being just this strikingly handsome Nordic man just keeps getting called to be the most rotten human beings on the planet in movies. <laughs> and they just ask a lot of him. They always ask him to be just a evil, rotten person. And, and you know what? That guy shows up for work and delivers every time he's in something. He the Skarsgård brothers are, yeah, <laughs> they are all just, fantastic. The, those brothers. I mean, they're in, I feel like everything I've seen, I suddenly realized, Oh, there's a Skarsgård in that. It's almost like, the new Baldwin thing from like the Baldwins in the eighties and <laughs> everybody was like, Oh, there's always a Baldwin in it. Now it's always a scars guard. And I, I, I love it. I love being part of that era. Same. I, I think, I think, I think, I think they sent Alexander scars the script to this and he just read like evil and snow. And he's like, I'm in. <laughs> he's like, say no more. But can you I'll make be it there. creepy? <laughs> yeah. But can you make it creepy? Can you put a supernatural element of wolves? Can you give me a, a creepy mask in this movie? <laughs> um yeah and it, it it asks a lot of understanding from like the viewer side of like what's underneath and what's kind of at play here there's some grim details there's a really rough uh shootout with a guy kind of perched on top of a barn and it's it's pretty tough to watch but that's Sonia, the director he makes and he makes these movies and they're they're not easy to watch but they're pretty gripping and i love this one it's on netflix it's again it's probably the lesser of the couple that he's done that are pretty popular but it's it's worthwhile and it's just a bitter freezing cold dark movie works on me every time i'm here for that don't, i don't want that i, don't I like i like the dark me. movies <laughs> yeah same same especially these number nine what you got yeah uh so my number nine is also a bit of a darker movie uh it is an action movie came out in 2013 a series ended up following it um it's a bit of a dystopian future where uh human race has become extinct and uh we're basically all living in snow territory and it is called Snowpiercer starring Chris Evans. Have you seen that one? Nope, I know which one you talk about though. Very familiar. <laughs> Haven't yeah, seen it. it's like it's one of those where it's it's weird, but I like how weird it gets. Um 
so, you know, uh, Chris Evans and there's a few thousand people that are all stuck in the back train where they just kind of put all the people nobody's caring about and they're just trying to save them to have for humanity's sake. And once in a while, the, the, the minister of the, of the train will come back and look for children of some sort and somebody comes over and does tape measuring to see what how tall the child is and then carries a couple children away and you know they they finally decide that they're done being treated like this and they basically eat these like jello blocks that are called protein bars because that's all they're given to feed and they they're ready to get up to the front of the train and tell the the person who's who's leading this whole new human society that's living on this very long bullet train that is all that's left of humanity as they they travel around the world uh they it goes around the world in a year so whenever they hit a certain landmark they know when it's christmas or they know when it's new year's and all that kind of stuff and they're trying to get to the front of the train so each section of the train is something new so they they get to the section where it's usually blocked off so there's some soldiers there and they have to fight through them and uh this this movie also has some martial arts to it because i believe it was originally a japanese and this is an american adaptation of everything and so they they get through the uh the one one that has soldiers and then they get through this one that just has these big brutes and then a, a train that has a bunch of people with axes and then they start to get towards the front of the train and it's like life hasn't changed and suddenly this weird moment of People are getting their hair done. People are at a dining in a restaurant base. People, they're with, with students. So who are these kids that are just, and how like brainwashing is happening. And there's areas where there's swimming pools and a greenhouse and a whole aquarium and all, and there's a fresh sushi bar and all these kinds of things. Um, and it just, it just keeps going back from like dark to this like, like lighthearted area of a train until you get to the front. Um, and the train conductor, spoiler, is Ed Harris. So that just made it even better <laughs> when you get to the front of the train and see that it's Ed Harris. Um, but, you know, they they free this guy who built all the lock systems in it. And he is somebody who wants them to go outside. He says, you know, we've been going around in circles so long and I'm seeing life out there. Things are melting and like trying to get these people to believe that you can live outside and not be in fear and in these boxes. And it just, it's just interesting to see like this political world that happens inside this train of, you know, when they, when they talk about population control or who eats what and know your place on this train and, you know, what, what the kids are being used for. And it's just very, it gets very dark, but also can touch on things very uh, presently too. So I, I don't know, it's weird, but I'm, I'm really into it. Yeah. And that, I, I, that's just one I missed, but the thing is, is that like, that movie and the director who made that movie Bong Joon-ho made one of like my all-time favorite movies in the past like five years which is Parasite that won like multiple Oscars yeah and um you know between that and Memories of Murder and Okja and like so he he he's known to make these couple of movies but yeah Snowpiercer is just one of those that was absolutely familiar with loved the director and just haven't seen it yet just missed it so that's <laughs> definitely one I'll have to get on immediately because I, I love his movies and he has one coming out uh this yeah, year with yeah. boy Pattinson Oh really? Called Mickey Seventeen. It's like a sci-fi. Sweet. It's yeah. It's gonna looks pretty interesting. All right, put that on the list. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, especially if you like those those types of movies. Yeah, he's 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 a master at that. 
Uh, what do you think? My yeah, number eight? just this movie just has the great. Uh, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, like, this movie just has the great action to it, but it just has, like, some lightheartedness to it. And then just it gets really dark in some areas. So it just, like, hits all those nice little boundaries for me to make it number nine. Yeah, I'm going to have to get on that one. <laughs> um, all right. Yeah, I'll jump in. Number eight. Um, I'm a little bit more on the lighthearted side after a couple two darker ones. This is uh, the all-time <laughs> comedy classic Groundhog Day with your boy Murray. Oh! Scott, we just let's talk about this one together because that is also my number eight. <laughs> is it? That's your eight? Oh, look at that. We we hit Batman re- yeah. uh, Returns on the Christmas movies. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Go. So, yeah. Okay. So tell tell me about why this is your number eight. I won't. I won't steal all the thunder on this. I'll I'll leave you some goodies. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> obviously, like it's pretty well recognized kind of comedy classic at this point. But you know, Bill Murray, Andy McDowell, um. You know, and it's the grumpy weatherman gets stuck in Puxatawney because he's a curmudgeon and <laughs> can't figure out how to be nice to people and, um, you know, gets trapped in the same day over and over. And they actually they actually did get trapped there, like for really bad weather, like in real life. It, this was like before they were just like throw some CGI snow on this film. Um, <laughs> yeah, they were. And that's it's called, you know, the blizzard. They try to leave the, the blizzard hits and they got to go back and. I, what's not to love? I mean, this is like an every year watch. Um, I love this movie. It's cynical, but it's also sentimental. And that could also probably just sum up me as a person. So I don't know what that says. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love this one, too, because Groundhog Day, some people take Groundhog's Day very seriously. And it's it's well so intense should. on, yeah, how much snow are we going to get? How much longer is winter here? And uh, depending on if he sees his shadow or not, you can see some people get very grumpy the rest of the day or people be very excited. And it goes both ways. Some people are really excited for more snow and then some people are really excited for no snow. So <laughs> it, it just it, it just has its own just aura around that day itself. And Bill Murray mm-hmm. can just make make me laugh in anything. So it doesn't really matter. Like he just, he just gets me every time. And it, for me, it was also the first time I've ever watched a film of the start of a day that you can't get away from that it just keeps repeating over and over again and you're just starting to go crazy and try to doing different things to figure out why this day repeats are you just you know are you just in hell and it's just going to repeat the rest of your life and it's never ending did you die how did you die what what happened what's going on um but yeah i i just bill bill murray does it for me and just what this day represents it just it fits perfect for something when it comes to the winter season and I didn't realize they actually got trapped there. So that's really, that just makes it even better. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, who who can't relate to a day that they feel like is never ending and repeating when you're in the Northeast and it's the winter. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the running joke, right? With January feeling like it's 75 days long and it's dark at 4 PM and the day just never ends. You just keep hearing the same song over and over classic Sonny and Cher. Yeah. I mean, th- this is kind of also one of those ones I'm kind of glad nobody's tried to redo. There's sometimes where I'm like, yeah, you know, there's been enough time removed. You can kind of do like a, you do a, like a reboot or a, a sequel. And I'm really glad they just haven't touched this one at all because there's no need. It's absolutely perfect the way it is. Yeah, I, I just love too that we just hit this both on our number eight. It's just fabulous, Scott. <laughs> this this was one of the a few, and we'll see as we keep going with these lists. But like, this was definitely one where I was like, there's no way she's not going to have Groundhog Day on her list somewhere. Well, yeah, you want to carry us into your number seven? Yeah. Yeah, number seven, I'll let it rip. Um, 
This is 1993 action thriller Cliffhanger. I knew you were going to have this on your list. I knew it. Sly Stallone in his bag. (laughs) Classic early 90s Sly Stallone. Um... These are the ones that the wife makes fun of me for watching because I'm just I'll just watch this at like 5:30 a.m. on a Saturday and she'll just come downstairs and be like, "What the hell are you doing?" I'm like, "It's cliffhanger. <laughs> it's Sly Stallone and John Lithgow on a mountain. Let it rip." Um, fun fact though, um, so this was directed by Rennie Harlan, who if you look at his catalog of movies, you're like, "Ah, tough times." But he's also made like five or six absolute bangers. And a couple years prior to this, he made Die Hard Two. And the funny thing is that Cliffhanger kind of, not kind of, has fallen into this subgenre category of Die Hard on a Blank. And I'm not sure how familiar you are with that, but that's like a real thing. That I haven't heard Die that. Hard, after Die Hard came out in 88, it kind of spurred, because it kind of reinvigorated action movies and it spurned these studios to say, well, we want our own Die Hard. And then what came after was movies like Speed, Die Hard on a Bus. And Passenger 57 with Wesley Snipes is like Die Hard on a Plane and Air Force One, which was another, you know, plane. And and you had these movies that kind of mirrored Die Hard, just they were somewhere else. And 1993, same director as Die Hard 2, Rennie Harlan, was like, I'm just going to make my own Die Hard again. But it's going to be with Sly Stallone, John Lithgow, Michael Rooker. (laughs) And we're going to be, you know, it's going to be this plane crash money heist and they crash land in the mountains and. Sly Stallone, of course, plays a disgraced, you know, mountain climber, which, of course, why not, right? When Who else would be a disgraced mountain climber? Sly Stallone, mm-hmm. that's who. And uh, he gets tangled up in the heist and he's got to, you know, there's some, you know, do a rescue, but there's just great scenes of, like, you know, a guy shoots the, shoots the gun up and, like, triggers an avalanche and, like, kills himself or, like, one of the other characters and great like great cave death where sly stallone picks a guy up and stabs him through a stalactite because it's the 90s stalactite deaths not how not not sure how many of those have existed in movies but yeah i mean this movie aside from the action and aside from they were just pumping these movies out i mean it's just nothing but snow ice wind mountain climbing and i don't know what the hell accent john lithgow is doing in this but i don't even care he can do anything. John Lithgow as a villain will work for me 10 times out of 10. Doesn't matter. He yeah. does this so well, and you wouldn't I expect it when you look at him. Like, I don't no. see villain when I just look no. at his face. And then he's like, oh, he's he's a bad dude. <laughs> right. And I think, you know, I, this was before, but like, I think a lot of people that didn't watch him in um, that didn't watch him in these types of movies are like raising. Uh, what was it? Raising Kane and. Um, where he was just brutally bad Denzel, early Denzel movie there where he played, he like drugged Denzel and I'm trying to think it was, a, that was not a good movie, but I still like it. Um, but yeah, he, I think a lot of people, cause I think a lot of people see him from um, third rock from the sun as like a goofball yeah. kind of this lumbering big idiot. And, but yeah, you go back to some of the, uh, you know, late eighties, early nineties movies where he's just playing a rotten villain. Um, he's awesome. Well, he, He's also the father in Harry and the Hendersons, right? Or am I getting that wrong? Um, I think he one, is. I'm not sure. I haven't seen that in a long talk about a movie I haven't seen in. Decades. Yeah, neither have I. But I, I'm pretty sure he is because I made that connection to him during Third Rock from the Sun, and then was totally confused when I saw him in Cliffhanger. But yeah, Sylvester Stallone too. I feel like most of the movies he gets casted in, it just makes me laugh because it's like 
he's playing an average guy. He's like, I'm just this average guy doing this average thing, but I'm just going to come out here and blow some shit up or totally beat the shit out of people and be great at it. But I'm just your average guy. Sly Stallone always just trying to blend in. <laughs> and just for note, the movie that I, I kind of blanked on where Lithgow plays just a rotten, excellent villain. It was a uh, ricochet. Not a great movie. Oh, but yeah. Really fun to watch. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I watched a, that once. Yeah, that's that's one of those just kind of you're like, great. It's fun, but it's <laughs> also not great. But uh, yeah, I love Cliffhanger. That's my number seven. I love that movie. Uh, all right. Seven. Well, my number seven uh, is another one of those silly comedies that just the movie is fun. It's kind of stupid, but that's OK. It just it's fun. It makes me laugh. It has nostalgic music to it. Uh, set in another ski resort because ski resorts seem to be the place to be when it comes to doing anything comedy and snow. So always go, always fall back on a ski resort. Um, so it's Hot Tub Time Machine. Uh, have you seen that one, Scott? I, I have. I have a couple times. <laughs> yeah. It's so wild. I, it is wild, but that's like it. It's like it, it takes some... Uh, this group of guys from more of a present day time get in this hot tub and they go back to this this day in their lives uh, at a ski resort in the 80s. And they well, they, they went up there to try to like remember what it was like to be fun and not these adults who were unhappy and miserable with where they ended up in life. So they go back to this old resort and the place looks abandoned and it's nothing like it was. But Chevy Chase sets up the hot tub for them and they end up going back in time to the day in the 80s when all their lives changed and there was this big rock concert happening and they all were semi-cool in some way either you know like the really pretty boy of the 80s or the badass rocker dude or in a rock band of some sort um it just it was it was fantastic uh i just i really enjoyed just all the little antics that played along in it and then also the idea of, you know, it makes me it made me think about, wow, if I could go back to the 90s at some point and live a day that I really liked, I wonder what that would be like. Yeah, but, I'd have to revisit yeah, that it, one. That was that was a great, great like I think that kind of hit like the cult classic status, like very. Yeah. Very quick. Yeah. It's just so funny, too, because um, I, I'm slipping on his name. You might remember his name. Uh, he's he plays McFly and Back to the Future. Uh, not Michael J. Fox, oh, but his father. F- yeah, yeah, George McFly. Michael J. Fox. Oh, oh, no, yeah, not yeah, Michael. Yeah. Uh, the father, George McFly. Um, but yeah, he's yeah. in the movie, and he's the he's the bellman at this ski resort. And at some point during this night, he loses his arm, and everybody had always wondered how did he lose his arm. So you're going through all these scenes of like, is this is this where he loses his arm? He he trips and there's an elevator coming. Is this how he loses his arm? He trips and an icicle's falling. Is this how he loses it? It's just it gets really funny as it goes on of just trying to figure out when this guy loses his arm and everybody gets so disappointed every time it's not that moment. Um so that just adds to the humor of it. And then uh, one person stays back because he's like, you know, my life sucked. I'm gonna try to relive my life and instead of Google, he creates Lugal. So he becomes super rich and, and all this kind of stuff. So it was, uh, it, they do a lot of Back to the Future stuff in it too. Um, now that I think about it, like, you know, the, the one kid starts to pixelate because he wasn't really part of the 80s. 
he's bored in the 80s and so he ends up going back with them and um i mean having george mcfly there traveling back in time to a time that you can change your life all that kind of stuff yeah or change the future which is something that they do too so yeah it, maybe that's why i like it so much because it reminds me of the back to the future that i think about it the nostalgic music <laughs> it's like back to the future in the snow <laughs> and a hot tub and a hot tub yeah plus like i mean craig robinson like one of the maybe one of the funniest people alive ends up in like the judd apatow movies and it's just hilarious yeah that's a good pick I yeah really I, that one so i've never really i've never really been to like this like ski resort thing but it seems like it was a huge deal in the 80s with ski resorts like everybody has these super funky colored boots and furs and fur vests and outfits and i i mean i love it it's like i'm all into it it just it just seems like that was that was the place to be back in the 80s with ski resorts and um i don't know maybe there's some areas that are like that i've just never really experienced the ski resort lifestyle so uh it makes it more fun yeah for sure i'm sure they're out there Minus the time machine <laughs> hot tub. Uh, number six? Yeah, what's your number six? All right, another one that you can jump right on Netflix and watch is uh, 2017's Wind River, um, directed by Taylor Sheridan, who now has his own TV universe of a multitude of shows. Um, Tulsa King, he's got. I've never seen this one, and, Scott. Yeah, he's got Tulsa King out now, and you know Yellowstone, and a lot of people might have known him when he played the cop from... Uh, Sons of Anarchy, but yeah, Sheridan's got his own universe now. But, oh, okay. Um, yeah. So yeah, he wrote and directed this with uh, Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen, who play a wildlife tracker and an FBI agent. Um, and it's great. It's pretty, again, it's, I kind of went back dark after Groundhog Day and Cliffhanger, but uh, Cliffhanger <laughs> a little more lighthearted, more fun. But uh, yeah, this is a pretty grisly movie, and they need to solve Elizabeth Olsen's uh, FBI agent as gets called into um this you know indigenous reservation in wyoming and they're trying to solve um a rape murder and um they end up at like a oil tanker facility and they end up it's like there's a there's a pretty grisly shootout there's a standoff with some sketchy cops and there's a scene where elizabeth olsen's kind of knocking on a trailer door and you could tell the kind of guys that can't be trusted but are in uniform or yelling that you know hey there's kind of like a there's an FBI agent at the door. Come on, come on out. But he's kind of signaling to the guy inside and just, you're just hit with like shotgun blast through the door and just blows her into the snow. And it's, and there's like the shootout ensues. And then, um, and Jeremy Renner, who plays the wildlife tracker is kind of like what I mentioned with hold the dark. He's the guy with the gun who's like in the woods coming through slurking. And he comes to the rescue and just starts <laughs> ripping people apart. And it, it's right. It's a tough, it's a tough movie, but it's, pretty gritty and again it's brutal it's brutally cold the whole movie is just in the middle of this wyoming reservation it's freezing there's a scene where elizabeth olsen's character gets like bear maced and it's very disorienting the way it's shot because she's crawling through the trailer trying to find somebody and it's just you could feel the cold in the scene like it's it's tough but it's it's excellently shot and this is the if you if you like taylor sheridan shows um kind of a companion to this movie that is the opposite of snow because it's like literally in the desert is a uh, hell or high water <laughs> i don't know if you've seen that one but that's with uh, ben foster no and, uh, yeah i think Chris. okay Pine, so that's yeah that's a 
that's a great movie. But yeah, so I, if you haven't had a chance to check out Wind River, I think it's on still on Netflix. It's been on there quite a while. So um, yeah, this is awesome. Really brutal, cool crime thriller. It's are finding like some of these movies that they're so dark you can watch them once, but they're really good, and you know they're really good, but you try to go back and rewatch them, and you're like, I'm not, I'm, I'm just, I'm not ready to rewatch this, but it is good. I feel like I get like that with those kinds of movies sometimes. So for me, like movies like that, depending on how dark it is, I, I actually can watch them like all the time. <laughs> but there are those movies that. And I'm sure I'm sure this will be a 10 episode for us of, uh, you know, like the one time you can watch it. I don't know what you'd call it, but it's like that one movie and you've seen it and you're like, I've seen it. I got it. I don't ever need to watch that again. Yeah. There's quite quite a bit of those. So, I mean, yeah, so <laughs> that's but these types of movies, yeah, they don't hit for certain people and there may be a little too dark, a little too grisly in the subject matter, but. Yeah, the way Taylor Sheridan does it and Wind River and Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen are awesome together. So, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I'll have to check that one out. That sounds Bible House of Dark. Yeah, you're number six. Um, all right, well, on the opposite side, my number six is a rom-com, actually. Uh, nice. And it's focused around a figure skater and a hockey player. It's from the 90s. Um, and basically, this hockey player is somebody who wants to go pro, gets injured. And this figure skater has a bit of an arrogance to her and she wants to do couple skating, but she can't find a partner to work with her because she's a very difficult person. And so the coach ends up trying to bring them together afterwards. Uh, and of course, as they, they go on, they, they have a lot of the bickering, they fall in love, all that stuff. Uh, they go into the Olympics, but it's called Cutting Edge. Have you seen this one, Scott? Nope familiar but nope <laughs> missed it yeah it was it's fun i did rewatch this uh last year to see if it held up for me because i really liked it when i was younger and it held up i really enjoyed it it's not something i can watch every year because it does get a little old after that uh but it is something that i i feel i can rewatch with a little space in between uh, but i was really into figure skating as a kid i was that kid that would figure skate in my socks on my slippery kitchen floor and think that I would do that someday. But then I'd put ice skates on and be like, I'm not doing that someday. So it's really cool to see the different kinds of moves they do. I feel like uh, the, the parody movie uh, uh, Blades of Glory is kind of <laughs> a parody of this rom-com in some ways because it has a lot of sure. similarities to it and where they go. But it's just great. The two, the two main characters, they, they, have good chemistry they're funny the way that they play off each other it it seems something very it could be very realistic um i just i enjoy it a lot and yeah that was my number six cutting edge that's also just a snapshot of the 90s as well because they were just like how about this a rom-com on figure skates it's like sure why not (laughs) (laughs) they just they took chances back then they just didn't care I think they played it well, too, because you get this hockey player and he's like, those are figure skates, pal. And thinking it's a hockey coach oh, coming boy. to get him. And he's like, yeah, I know they are. And then they well, they have this running joke about how you use the toe pick and um, can you keep up with each other? And uh, I it, it actually gave me a little bit more appreciation for figure skating, too, because there's so much training they have to do. And it's all year round and it looks super grueling just to try to, you know, do these shows and make it to the Olympics like they. I, I hand it to them that it's, I, it's, I think it's an underappreciated sport these days, but 
you have to have so much strength and so much uh, flexibility and uh, a lot of just not be a klutz, <laughs> which I also am. Um, but just just watching all the stuff, like I can't even imagine, like when they throw people in the air and catch them, and you have these sharp blades on, and um, how fast they're skating, and it's just it was super cool. I just I I'm really I get into it. Solid. Yeah, I'll have to check. I'll have to go back and check that one out. Okay. Yeah. My we're in we're in number fives, right? My number fives. Five. All right. My number five. I love this movie, and this one's gotten better and better for me every time I've watched it. Um, and it's Quentin Tarantino's 2015 western thriller, The Hateful Eight. You a Tarantino? That's a good one. Fan? That's a good one. I love Tarantino. I, yeah, I mean it. You go through his catalog and it's just there's like no misses. I mean, granted, he's like just about to make like his 10th movie this year. So there's not a ton, but (laughs) I love the Hateful Eight. Um, He actually ended up releasing like a second version of it, which is broken down into like episodes. And it's like an extended version. And I think both of them are on Netflix. You can watch both of them. Um, And another kind of fun fact about this was that the composer, Ennio Morricone, who's like one probably one of the was like one of the greatest composers ever. Um, he won his only Oscar, which is kind of a travesty when you go back and look at the movies he scored, but his only Oscar he won was for Tarantino's. And that was the only Tarantino film that even had a score because Tarantino's famous for having like amazing soundtracks. He's like very particular about the music that goes in them. And this was the only one that had a score and it was kind of his period piece Western. And yeah. And as with all Tarantino movies, you know, it's got the litany of the character actors and famous people like, you know, Samuel L. Jackson, mm-hmm. Jennifer Jason Lee, who plays an incredible character in this movie. Um, Kurt Russell, Walton Goggins, um, Bruce Dern. And, you know, it's six sketchy strangers holed up in a haberdashery in the middle of like Wyoming in a blizzard. And it's just people playing chess. It's just a chess movie of people <laughs> looking at each other and saying cool funny shit and being sketchy and is that person who that person says they are is that their real name mm-hmm. and that kind of you know and that type of stuff and i won't even though we did say something about spoilers i won't spoil the part of this movie that comes <laughs> later of who pops out of the floor but one of the funniest turns of the movie is who that is that has been in the floor the whole time there's a running door gag with every time somebody leaves and comes back they have to kick the door in because it's just wind is whipping and it's brutal cold and everybody's got the furs on and the fires are going and every time somebody comes back in they got to basically kick the door in the piece of wood falls off and then they have to nail the piece of wood back on the door to keep it shut and (laughs) in a movie that's serious about like sketchy criminals trying to like basically kill each other it's like one of the funniest things in the movie and it's just like that dark humor that's always in tarantino movies is great it's bloody it's violent what mm-hmm. else would it be in a Tarantino movie? Um, yep. But no surprise. This movie, yeah. <laughs> I mean, in this, it's long, but as like all his movies, like they, you, with the dialogue, just carries this movie, and the characters are just top tier. Um, yeah. I've watched both versions. I can't even say I have a preference. I they're kind of different the way they they are on there, but um, yeah, this one just keeps going up and up. When I first saw it, I was like, "That's good. It, I like it. it. It was like it was fun." Um, but there's so many of his that were like in my top one, two, three, but this one's starting to go up. I've, I've watched it a few times in the last couple of years and it's amazing. Um, I love it. I can't wait to see his next and supposedly final 10th movie. I, I don't think he's going to stick to that, but 
Yes, yeah, so that's my oh, number five. You said it's his tenth, uh, Scott. It's his tenth. You said it'll be yep. his tenth movie. Uh, cool. So it'll we can do a, a top ten Tarantino day. <laughs> oh man, I you just I'm I'll be running to the to the, the studio <laughs> for that one. We might have uh, to break that's... that one into two parts. I feel like that's going to be one where we oh. we talk as long as a, a Lord of the Rings movie. <laughs> Yeah, and he he's tough because he's like one of three or four filmmakers that only have like ten or twelve movies. So trying to come up with ten is brutal. <laughs> um, yeah, that that would be a good one. Yeah, that's my number five, The Hateful Eight. Are you a Tarantino fan? Do you dig into his movies? I at am. All? Yeah, I do. I I really like some of some of the newer stuff where he's kind of retelling history too, which is just I love it. You know he. It's like, a, you know, if we could go back and do it differently, here's how we would do something in a brutally Tarantino fashion um, or how Glorious there's bastard. movies where, yeah, where, you know, you don't realize what kind of movie it's going to be. And so the last half hour of the movie and then you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> and then you realize where you are. Or, um, I mean, yeah, like I, I just I love all his movies. He has a lot of great action scenes throughout his movies, too. Like I could I could go on about the action scenes, like even doing a top 10 Tarantino action scene, I think is going to have to be in our docket, Scott. <laughs> oh, yeah, you could you could definitely do it. The the over the top violence, but the dark comedy that's in those scenes is mm-hmm. unmatched. He's a master at that. Yeah, you're five. All right. Uh, so my five is a vampire movie um those who know me know that i've grown up really enjoying a lot of things around vampires um so this should be no surprise that there's a vampire movie in here but it's called 30 days of night have you seen or heard of this one scott absolutely not (laughs) can't say Um, i'm look searching for vampire movies so well so i really i really like the whole premise of this movie i don't think it got great reviews to it but i enjoy it it's it's set in a an alaskan town and i i look this up too and it says there is still a town in alaska where there's 30 days where it's just dark there's no sunlight coming and so it feels like it's it's prime buffet town for vampires and why this hasn't been touched on before this movie no clue uh so vampires come into this alaskan town ready to just you know, have a feast while they have darkness for a while. Um, and it's, it's pretty gory. Um, it's pretty dark. Uh, the ending is, uh, not a happy one. (laughs) I won't dig into it, but you know, it is what it is. It's just, I think it was a really well done vampire movie for what it is. I, I love the idea around it. I've never visited Alaska. I just know, you know, people tell me, you know, it's beautiful. It's a very beautiful place. Uh, it is a great place if you're into the snow and the ice. Um, I hear it has one of the prettiest cruises ever, uh, but I've I've just never been out there. But it, it it's it's crazy to think that there's there's still a town where you could have 30 days with no sunlight. I mean, upstate New York, I feel like has a lot of days of cloudiness, but there's at least some kind of sun shining somewhere in there. <laughs> Yeah, it's just it's just a the the cool concept of it really sells it for me. Um, so yeah, I I, ha- I had to give it to that movie, and I haven't rewatched it in a while, but it's on it's on my list. I think it's on Netflix right now to to give it a rewatch soon. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a pretty obscure pick, so I'll have to uh, throw that on a list and try to check it out. <laughs> I was like finding. New, I'm gonna get you watching vampire movies, Scott. Like yeah, <laughs> there's, a, there's a couple. I'm, um, 
there was definitely one from back in the 90s that was, I think it was John Carpenter. John Carpenter's just vampires. Is that James Woods, I think? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a few. Uh, Vampire in Brooklyn, I remember being hilarious with Eddie Murphy, but not, not great. Yep. Interview with a vampire, hard pass. Yep. But, yeah, there's some. What about Dracula Dead and Loving It with ne- Leslie Nielsen as Dracula? Have you seen that one? No, I haven't, and I love Leslie Nielsen. I lived on <laughs> the Naked Gun movies as like a teenager. They were the that was the funny those yeah. were the funniest movies I'd ever seen in my life. So yeah, no, I never I never. Well, saw there you that go. Maybe there. maybe maybe dig into that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I that one I would because he's he's a legend. All right, my uh, number four. Number four. This is a super underrated one. Um, I I feel like not enough people know this movie, and it's criminally criminally underrated, but critically did really well um and it's a 1998 noir crime thriller a simple plan directed by sam raimi familiar billy bob thornton bill paxton bridget forgot about that one awesome yeah awesome crime thriller buried in snow this is one of those ones that like if you would have set this in the summer or the spring it just doesn't work because the whole movie is about these guys in the middle of rural minnesota and they find a crashed plane and it's got $4 million on it and it works because of that reason. It needs to be in the snow. It needs to be in the mountain and, and these like huge open plains of just nothing but ice and snow and everything's covered. And Billy Bob Thornton and Bill Paxton play brothers and Billy Bob Thornton, who at this time was kind of like a legend for his screenwriting and, was in a bunch of movies and you wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know it if you told yeah. somebody that now. But he couldn't miss. He couldn't miss back then. Um, yeah, it's just full of lies, double crosses. A great, uh, great scene of a poor old guy who just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time on a snowmobile and gets sent into a river. It, there's a lot of great reasons this movie works specifically to be in the snow. But yeah, this this is definitely one that I think when it came out it. It like did okay. Critically did a lot better than it probably did at like the box office, but as it went, you know, it started going into like the um, you know, being on like where you could like pay per view or you could rent it and then once you know, DVDs started coming out and stuff, it definitely shot up there and this is definitely a cult cult classic. You know, you start doing the uh you know, you go on letterbox, our our beloved letterbox and pull up a simple plan. People love this movie. Um, I've seen this one probably like a dozen times. I love it. Yeah, I haven't watched it in a while. I definitely need to rewatch that one. I remember liking it a lot. Paxton is awesome in this movie, and Billy Bob Thornton is too. But Paxton's Paxton's great in this movie. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's a good one. That's an underrated one. A Simple Plan. Yeah. Uh. Okay. So, um, before I dive into my number four, it's making me think. You know. I talk about how like winter seems to have like these fun movies, which made it into more my second half of this list, the six through tens um, minus Snowpiercer. That is not funny. Um, But in my top five, it's more into that, like the winter months where people are like, there's a lot of bad things that happen in winter because it's just, it's just that time of year where things are cold and people are cold hearted or bad things are happening and you know people don't fully understand why but people some people are just in that depressed mode or you know it's just that vibe that winter brings um and my number four is 
it's an adaptation of a book, uh, a book by Agatha Christie, and it's the first one that came out in the Hercule Poirot series that have been coming out in films, um, and it's Murder on the Orient Express. Did you see this sure. one, Scott? Uh, I saw the most recent one, and I've seen the the classic. Sure. Oh, okay. So, you, uh, oh, you have you have seen this one, not uh, and the classic. Both. Yeah, I've seen both. Oh, yep. cool. Yeah. Um, so I really liked this one. Uh, there's a lot of great uh, actors and actresses that are part of this movie. And it was, the, I didn't see the original, the, the classic version of this until I saw this updated one. So it made me go back and start looking at the classics. But I do really like Agatha Christie's writing. I've read uh, more of her Miss Marple ones at this point. She did... Uh, quite a few detective stories. I think she's somewhere has like over 60, uh, somewhere between 60 and 70 different types of, of detective stories between Miss Marple and Hercule Perot. Um, and this one takes place on a train and the train is going through a whole winter scene and somebody gets murdered on the train and Hercule Perot is known as one of the greatest detectives. And so the person who owns the, the train asks him to do a favor since they're friends and to figure out this murder. And uh, lucky enough, a, a, a snow piles up on the on the tracks and they can't move. So they're stuck in this place where Hercule Perot can work his magic. Um, so it just has that little bit of a, a whodunit vibe. And I really, I won't spoil this because I think it's, it's worth watching to see who did it. Um, but I really liked the the whole explanation around who did this? Who did this murder and why? It just has a really cool vibe to it. And it's made me like this one the best of any of the film adaptations that have come out. Um, I do want to read more of the actual books themselves and see see how the books are. I'm sure I'm going to enjoy the, the books more than the films themselves. Um, but it's also nice because it kind of gives you that, that feeling of, you know, the mystery solved. We get back on the train. The people involved now can go on to this fresh start a new beginning that's out of this snow out of this this blockade off this train and into real life and just move on from everything um so yeah that's that's my number four um on netflix right now you can watch the original murder on the Orient express the Sydney lumet version um which i will Ooh, say really if, okay yeah i th- th- netflix just started putting on like a ton of like really classic movies which i just noticed like a wave of them because they're not usually the really? ones that have that. Yeah, they usually don't have like a ton of them. Like, but I just noticed a bunch on there recently. Um, and I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I thought Max kind of owned all those. They do. They have Max has a lot of them. But um, yeah, the original. I will say the original Sydney Lumet version. If you watch that and then you go watch the new version that Kenneth Branagh did, it's a little tough. Kenneth Branagh tried <laughs> his best. It's a little tough. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. It's it's. It's one of those where it's just like it, it's a fun who done it for me, and I just love watching sure. that whole yeah. you know the the critical thinking and then analysis about it. Um, it just really I really like diving into that that side of it of the who done it. You know I love Clue, so anything oh, great, like great Clue, cult classic, um, really. <laughs> yeah, Clue Clue always holds probably at the top for me. Um, but yeah, like a lot of the the who done it's that come out of that. All the other recent adaptations that have come out and um haunting in venice was all right it was much different um but yeah i think 
I just I really liked the people who played roles in this and how it ended, I think, is what really sold this movie for me. Yeah, yeah, it'd be a good, um, you know, if anybody hasn't seen either one of those, you could jump in, I think, catch. I'm not sure if the newest one is available. I'm not sure it's available to stream somewhere, but for sure, the classic, if anybody, you know, has never seen the Sidney Lumet version, it's I think it's on Netflix right now, which is great, great, great movie. Yeah, I got yeah, to kick into watching a lot of the classics, like uh, House on Haunted Hill. I don't know if you ever saw the the remake of that in the 90s that came out, and it was super gory, um, kind of freaky, but the the classic version of it is so good, but it's so different as to what they're trying to adapt, like, come about with it, and it's 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 much better. I like a lot of the, the classic movies, um, and yeah, it's nice to see a lot more of them streaming. I find them... I find a few on Prime, but I, I've noticed, uh, I think Max has Turner Classic Movies now, so they're getting a lot of them that hold yeah. on to there. Yeah, they got a great catalog of a lot of the classic movies, for sure. Um, yeah, that's a good pick. Um, all right, my number three? Number three. All right, I love, I, I mean, I love all these movies, but I, I go back to this one a lot. Um, and it's the 2014 film by Wes Anderson, The Grand Budapest Hotel. Probably oh, my nice. favorite movie is his, of his. Probably, to me, probably his magnum opus movie that's like the top. Um, everything that he does well is in this movie to me. Um, he's another one, like Tarantino, like you go through the cast and it's just A-list after A-list person. Ray Fiennes, Tilda Swinton, Willem Dafoe, Shersha Ronan, Edward Norton. Our guy Bill Murray <laughs> is in a lot of them. Um, and yeah, I mean, this is set in like a fictional kind of look. It's like Swiss Alpy type place. Um, Wes Anderson's kind of classic, like palettes and colors that like show up in his movies. And this is like completely all like pasteled and it just like jumps <laughs> off snowy mountains. And again, this is another one that like maybe would be fun if it was the summer, but it just works so much better when it's the winter. And you're, you know, stuck on this hill and a lot of great scenes outside and these kind of old timey cars chugging up and down snowy roads. And um, there's a great if, and I think you could pull this up on YouTube. There's a great like behind the scenes where Ray Fiennes and Zero or their characters, Gustav and Zero, the lobby boy, they're like completely just downhill speeding in like a mountain chase. and the way that they shot it, they, they, they did like a good mixture of practical effects and like a little bit of CGI. And then they did a lot of miniature work. And if you see how they created it behind the scenes and you watch it in the movie, it just like kind of blows your mind because they weren't, they didn't want to just CGI it. They wanted to do as practical as they could, but the way it plays out in the movie is just absolutely hilarious, but it's just this massive snowy downhill sled, you know, (laughs) race. Um, and it's great. And like with all Wes Anderson movies, like dialogues top tier, it's just hilarious. They're charming. And this being, this is like the best version of what he does. Some people with Wes Anderson, they're kind of like in or out, especially his most recent movie that came out, Asteroid City, already divisive of people saying it's like he's kind of too much of him. Um, but this was just one of the best versions of everything he does well from a character standpoint. And this is one of those movies that also, and because of the time that it's set and where it's set and the landscape, there's a lot, there's a lot of like heavy weighted, like kind of social political themes playing underneath it. 
and that's cool. And like, I love a lot of that stuff in certain movies, but when it comes to this movie in particular, I kind of don't care because I just love the characters. It's <laughs> hilarious. This every scene is a knockout and seeing it on this like kind of snowy hill. And it's like, I want to live in that hotel. It's like, I wish I could go to that hotel. <laughs> I'd like to live there, <laughs> hang out, be around the characters. It's awesome. It's hilarious. One of my favorite Wes Anderson's. You a fan of this one? You, you like, get around to it? Yeah, I uh, I haven't watched it in a while, so that one's now on my list of remember to rewatch that because it was a good movie. And it, it just makes me think, though, like a lot of these movies with, when it comes to snow, snow is just a great thing if you want to have the setting. These people are trapped. They can't go anywhere. So something has to go down while you're all trapped here. And sometimes it's it's cool to see, too, because I feel like I feel like when people are trapped somewhere, their their deep, true personality starts to come out because they they can't go anywhere. And, you know, you get that anxious feeling. It's just natural to happen. You go into fight, fight or flight mode and you just start to see sides of people, even people you may have known for years that it's like you don't really know this person <laughs> in, in this type of setting that they're in. So there's so much you can play off of that in these kinds of films. And, and Snow just makes it easy to do that. And it also just can make things more challenging in general. Like it's not something you can easily escape out of, even if you're not trapped per se, it's, it's going to be hard to get out of it when you're no longer actually trapped. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, and that's the thing with like, especially with like Budapest hotels, like you're just perched on this mountain in this beautiful, stunning, luxurious hotel. And it's just snow mountains and cold weather <laughs> everywhere. I mean, that's a lot of them, you know, it's like a lot of our picks cliffhanger, you're on a mountain, you got nowhere to go. You're trapped, yeah. you're stuck. <laughs> a simple plan is, you know, it's, it's rural. And it just seems like the snow's never going to end. But it's like these guys can't get out of this issue. And granted, a lot of it, a lot of it comes down to the character bits, but they're stuck, they, they, they can't figure it out. And it just the snow and the blizzards and like those type of conditions in these movies makes it feel more boxed in and more propulsive and and even and with the comedies maybe not so much but definitely with some of the more like darker crime movies or the character driven movies it's yeah the, the snow and those elements are an extra character in the movie like it's designed that way so yeah that's a that's a good point oh so it takes me to my number three huh you're three all right so shocker scott my number three is another vampire movie <laughs> oh doubling down yeah, um, so it was the second film produced in the series, but the third movie is a prequel, so it's like the third in the, the chronological timeline of it. Um, it's what? Underworld Evolution. and oh, okay. not where I thought you were going. Oh. <laughs> thank, thank goodness. Have, have you seen the Underworld movies? Uh, Are I these ones the you've first, seen? I, I saw the first one, I think, when it came out, and that's one that's kind of like, it's been a while. Yeah, for sure. That's it's been a while. That's with uh, Kate Beckinsale, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. Sure. yeah I've what do you think? One. Do you remember how you felt with those ones? You know, I think so. Here's the thing with the, with a movie like the, especially the first, because I've only seen the first one. Um, again, we've talked before about this about like movies, like and when you get them. And when that came yeah. out, I was not checking for these types of movies. So I saw it because <laughs> I remember it kind of being like a fun action movie, and it was like cool, and like it kind of had that almost like the um the way people jumped on the matrix, like the underworld movies where like people were on them, like a mm -hmm. and especially this one. And it did, yeah. I remember it doing really well, but 
at that time I was like, this is not not what I was checking for. But it was it wasn't bad. It was really good. I, I didn't see the ones after that though. So so the second one, Underworld Evolution, basically picks up where the first one left off. It's just uh it's basically Celine, Kate Beckinsale's character, who's a vampire, and the human who gets uh he becomes a hybrid between werewolf and vampire. Uh, she's not sure if he's going to be able to survive because they aren't used to seeing hybrids. Um, so it kind of starts to go into the the origin stories of where lichen or werewolves came from and where vampires came from. Still has a lot of those fun action scenes that and just the the color plays of uh, between the ice and the snow and you see you can see people's breath when they're breathing in it. And obviously, you know, for for a vampire, it doesn't really matter what's going on. <laughs> uh, they don't. It, it can be below temperatures and doesn't really matter um but the the action scenes are are amazing in it um i really like the whole origin stories of where the lichen and where the vampires come from and how they how they take their own spin on these stories and how there's kind of like this this war going on between lichen and and vampire and somehow the humans are getting involved in it too and then there's another film that comes out uh later and it's almost it starts to seem kind of resident evilly when when they start when they start to dive into the the fourth one in the series but yeah I really I really like all the underworld movies so this one this one was a good pick uh for me I just I'm I'm really into it I loved Kate Beckinsale as a vampire I love the whole idea of what it what happens with the hybrids and like the action scenes in it and all the the battles that go on they they tie it well it just makes it fun but also good for somebody into this vampire lore yeah i'd say those are probably uh probably in the same line with the cult classics right i mean they were box offices but they kind of have quite the loyal following yeah you know i didn't have many friends who were into that at all so i kind of like would be in my own little cubby hole <laughs> watching sure. this stuff a lot but like i was really into buffy growing up and um you know i really like these underworld movies i yeah i just I, I like it. I like the female leads of it too. Like see, seeing the females just kick some ass, um, which also makes me really love Resident Evil movies, which is more zombie related and right. um, things like that. But it it has it has some parallels, I think, to to Resident Evil in that way. But yeah, just the just the under the underlying stories that they do, they talk about, they take their own spin on stuff, but they make it still, uh, you know, it's not it's not too gory. It's not as gory as like the Blade movies are or anything um there's still obviously blood that that comes out in these movies and everything but yeah the, the fight scenes are awesome uh watching the vampires versus the werewolves is pretty cool so you get into that kind of like fantasy style like werewolves vampires it's a it's a good one nice yeah yeah that's a good pick i mean i'm sure also i'm sure when that came out a lot of uh a lot of folks just like to see beck and sale as a vampire i'd imagine she looks pretty good <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I think she still looks like she's 24, so that's that good for her. Yeah. I actually um I I got my hair cut short and had it dyed black and it was because of <laughs> sale in Underworld movies and she's she she pulls it off. I uh I I switched back to my reds and purples, but yeah, it was a fun little uh moment in time for angsty teenage Amy. <laughs> what a what a time. What a time. <laughs> All right, I'll uh my number two. We're almost yeah. we're almost there. Number two, I don't, I don't know if I'd be able to uh, live with myself if I didn't put this 
on here. I, this would be a huge miss for me. And it's like, what are we doing? It's Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. <gasps> Scott, that's my number two. <laughs> I was like, what are we doing? Who didn't put? I was like, who? who I was like, we're gonna go this far without The Shining? Okay, all right, we can just talk about this one together then. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, come on. The number like, twos. <laughs> this almost was my number one, but I, the, yeah, I was like, we can't go this far without The Shining. Like my guy Kubrick, one of my all-time <laughs> favorite filmmakers. Jack Nicholson, absolutely losing his shit as a caretaker of the Overlook Hotel with his family. Uh, poor, poor Shelley Duvall didn't do so well after this, but... Um, so this is yeah, a I hotel mean, you wouldn't want to stay in, Scott, right? I, you know what? I'm not for those like experiences of like, that happened here. Would you like to stay in this real world hotel? And I'm like, not really. I, I, I'll check it out from the road. Like, Stephen King's a creepy guy already, and I love his adaptations. He famously hated this movie. He did. He, I think still to this day, he didn't like this movie at all. He didn't like the adaptation uh. of it. He openly talked about how much he, he didn't like it and dismissed it. But he's wrong. I'm like, sorry, sorry, Steven, you're wrong. Because this is an all yeah. this is a fucking classic movie. Um, I mean, brutal winter storm. And it's what happens when a guy gets writer's block and loses his mind trapped. You know, you're talking about people being trapped and that cabin fever sets mm-hmm. in and um, you know, you throw the supernatural element in there, the, you know, Danny and the shining and it's, it's, it's gruesome. And I, this was one I, I watched very young. It was like, what the fuck is that? Like, I couldn't even like, <laughs> it's just the blood coming out of the elevators and then, and those creepy ass twins. And it's yeah. just very, very claustrophobic. And one of like the best parts about it. It really is about the snow. And when that maze chase at the end and Danny backtracks his footsteps to hide, it's a great shot in the movie. And that famous scene of Nicholson just frozen stiff, you know, that you get that just became like a meme too. That just, that just became a meme 20, 30 years later of it's freezing cold this year and it's just a picture. It's like <laughs> me waiting for my kids at the bus stop and it's like it's just Jack Nicholson frozen stiff. Um, I love this movie. There's just no way we, no way I could have left this off my list. Yeah, I mean, it's also I just like the way that they play on things too. Like he goes up there with writer's block, and then he freezes into an ice block, and <laughs> yeah, the, the whole yeah that whole idea of solitude. You know, he's a recovering alcoholic, and mm-hmm. he's he, you can tell he's not happy having. He doesn't really seem like he wants a kid that much, and he also does not seem like his marriage is going well, and they're all about to be trapped together. Yep. So it just it's already looking like a disaster and watching Jack Nicholson just does it so well. It's it's eerie how well he does it, how he's just digressing into this insanity. And, you know, it, they're in a place that's uh, got a lot of some some bad spirits going on in there that can yeah. manipulate as soon as he starts to fall into that darkness. They're there to help tell him what he needs to do. And. It just it just gets so dark. And I remember the first time I ever saw this movie, it was on cable and I was a kid, too. And there were moments where I'm like, is this still the same movie? I thought maybe somebody changed the channel on me because there'd be the little girls on their tricycles and then suddenly the blood in the elevator and then a lot of things about Red Rum and then this random room. And then it looked like a light, lighthearted movie at some point. So it took me a little bit to realize this is all still the same movie. <laughs> and it's just it's wild but it's it's awesome i i love this movie i yeah I, i'm glad yeah. this made both of our lists i'm just 
and even more stoked that it was both our number twos. <laughs> yeah. And you know, for me, like I didn't, I was never like, I'm still not to this day, like a big horror movie fan, but this is like a good early entry into horror. And like, because in a lot of ways it is a horror movie, but if I think for a lot of like diehard horror movie enthusiasts, this is probably like on the normie side, this is like the entry level of horror movie because it's like a dark thriller too. And it's, it's got like a lot of the, um, supernatural stuff going on with room 237 mm-hmm. and and if you ever really want to get into this movie um you can do a lot of like kind of google research and you see a lot of stuff that like cooper talked about and there's um a lot of like theories about the movie and what's lying underneath and that you know there's like a lot of stuff with like native american like burial ground and like there's a lot of stuff you could dig into to read about this movie that definitely adds to like the horror element of, elements of it but for me, when I caught this movie, which was like early high school, I was like, that's, this is twisted, like, unbelievable. And I love Jack Nicholson. It's like, who doesn't? But this yeah. was like a good way to kind of put the, dip the toe in the water of, uh, of the horror genre. Cause it was, for me, it was this and Rosemary's Baby that I saw oh, like, yeah. back to back that were just super creepy. They weren't like gory horror slasher movie that you would think, but, um, The Shining is just, all 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 time classic movie well yeah and i i love the play on the elements and the colors too like you have this very whiteness of the snow but then the blood is just such a this vibrant red to it when it's coming through and there's the fire and when they when he goes into the the maze and everything too like it's just just all the different ways that they do the imagery and how the colors play on each other it just it's it's fantastic yeah, the May sequence is still like one of the best things like ever shot. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And to see again, just to double down, to see that classic image of Nicholson's frozen face. Awesome. Yeah. And you know, some of it it has some like things that are that could be realistic can creep me out. So like somebody losing their mind in this solitude and going insane and you know, the fear of the kid. And is he going to be able to get away or is his father about to axe murder him in this maze? And, um, you know, like stuff like that. It's super, though that stuff creeps me out because it's so eerie and it's something that could be realistic. Like people could in solitude go into this insanity of all work, no play makes Jack a dull boy (laughs) and just, you know, really lose it. Yeah. And Um, all those elements are there. All those elements are there. Yeah. You know, he, potentially probably abused his wife and child he's an alcoholic he's this mm-hmm. is he even really a good writer you just don't know like those are all mm-hmm. those questions that kind of loom under it and like i said it's a very very claustrophobic movie there's this massive hotel and there's these three people in it and yeah. they're stuck and then jack nicholson having drinks in the ball and talking to the bartender who's not there it was probably a dead spirit from in the past it, yeah twisted and it's just it makes it, it again this is one of those movies that like you could set this family in a hotel and you can make it where it's claustrophobic and but without the winter and the snow and them trapped being that's the whole premise of why they're there mm-hmm. you know and that's this well, movie doesn't work unless it is they're trapped for the winter as the caretakers and i that's why he became a recovering alcoholic because he did abuse his son once and mm-hmm. realized you know i need to stop and so mm-hmm. you know still in this recovery going into this isolation, you know, probably thought this was a good way to do it, but it just, it just took a dark turn to it and just not the right place. Wrong time, wrong place. Classic movie. 
I'm glad we both had that at number two. I kind of figured you would probably have this somewhere, but as we started getting down, I was like, <laughs> I don't know, maybe she's not, a, maybe she's not a Nicholson fan, maybe she's not a horror fan. Well, now, we'll, now we'll I'm see. really intrigued to hear what our number ones are, Scott. <laughs> I, all right, well, we're at number one, so I'm gonna let it rip. We ready? Yeah, go for it. Number one, one of my all-time favorite movies in general ever. Can't undersell that. Um. <laughs> 1996 comedy classic, Coen Brothers, Fargo. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Not your number one, is it? No, but it was on my close calls. Fargo is, I think, their best movie. It's probably my favorite of theirs. I mean, I could go Mm -hmm. back and forth with, like, I'm a huge Coen Brothers fan, so I could go back and forth with, like, probably 10 of their movies. Um, Fargo is by far my favorite like any given day of the week um and it's considered i mean it's considered one of the best movies ever made i mean it's had seven oscar nominations Frances mcdormand famously won you know for playing her great cop smart but like lovable minnesota nice cop you know marge gunderson um and it's you know minnesota north dakota so it's just completely white out you know these open plains that are snowed out you can't they look like they go on for 30 miles um there's that great highway shooting scene in the dark and it's just headlights and it's you see the headlights and then when the car turns around and they go chasing back after him, it's just pitch black. Um, I love Steve Buscemi in this movie. This is like one of the first movies I think I've seen this in Reservoir Dogs where I saw Young and I was like Steve Buscemi was just like he had that face and he was always just this, either like a criminal or a goofball, but he was funny. And in this movie, he's both. He's darkly hilarious in this movie for no reason. And he's also just terrible. And the scene on the uh, parking garage with, you know, he he finally meets William H. Macy's character, you know, his father-in-law. And they're trying to exchange the ransom money. And they're just yelling at each other. And give me the, where's my daughter? And give me the money. And where's my daughter? And give me the money. And finally it just (laughs) evolves. And it's like, this is classic Coen Brothers, you know, comedy where it's like very violent but it's hilarious and it's absurd because Steve Buscemi just goes over and just shoots him in the stomach and you see feathers come out of his coat. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. It's like cartoonish. Um, and then he gets shot in the face. Steve Buscemi gets shot in the face and it's brutal and it's really grisly. Mm-hmm. And, and, but the thing about it is like when I would watch this movie, I go, God, his, it's so fucking cold. And he's just putting stuff on his face like napkins and paper to stop it from bleeding and you can just set he's breathing in the car and you can like see his breath and you can just sense how <laughs> rotten cold it is and every time i'm like god that must god that must hurt um but yeah i this is one of my favorite movies ever and i mean the i and, I don't, and for anybody that's into this stuff the cinematographer roger deakins one of the best like ever and he's done like 12 13 14 uh, well over like a dozen collaborations with the Coen brothers. But this movie and why this movie looks the way it does with these planes and the angles and the way that you just see never ending snow and is because of him and it's their collaborations and um, famous wood chipper scene of just Steve Buscemi getting fed through a wood chipper and just plastering red on the open white snow. And William H. Macy's hilariously awful in this. Um, as Jerry Lundegaard, and yeah, I I can't say enough about. Far- I'm also I love the TV show. Um, I'm currently watching the fifth season of Fargo on Hulu, 
And oh, yeah, Noah I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, Noah Hawley show, which is obviously from the movie, and it's Coen Brothers, to my knowledge, don't aren't really involved in it. They, I think they might like be executive producers, like in name, but um, for any if anybody you know already is well aware of Fargo, the movie you got to watch the TV show. But yeah, the movie, one of my all time favorites, one of the best movies ever. I I love this, just bleak, snowy, cold, and crime ridden. Yeah, it's another one that they do a really good job of playing with the colors of using that that white snow to show the exaggeration of colors of things like blood. Um, and Steve Buscemi always brings it in anything that he's in. I, I, I think he he doesn't he doesn't get utilized enough. I think he could do so much more than what he got brought into because he always he know he knows the role all the time. No matter if it's something funny, something crime related, something gruesome whatever he's got it he always shows up yeah and uh, i mean francis mcdormand is like just incredible this movie (laughs) as the police officer and just her fully pregnant and with the just that great accent and her just really like sweet tone but she's trucking through the snow and you can she seems kind of like you know flimsy but then she gets talking and questioning people and you realize she's probably the smartest character in the movie (laughs) and um I always thought one of the funniest things too is uh, the Coen brothers have always kind of got a, they've always gotten a lot of pushback for people have always asked them. It's like, if are when they write these characters in these movies, are they making fun of these people? Like, are they, are they, do they think they're, these people are dumb or do they think they're like not, you know, are they stupid? Or are they mocking them? But, and, and who knows part of it, they might be with the accents and everything. But the other thing is that the Coen brothers are from Minnesota. So they, if anybody understands these types of kind of absurdist characters who could be at times darkly funny, but can also be very politely mean in a way, and nobody, none, that's never more present in On the Money than in Fargo. Um, yeah, that's, I love Fargo. All-timer. No, that's, that's, a, that's a good number one choice, Scott. I like that. Although, although I will say now, if we ever do a Coen Brothers top ten, I don't know if I can put Fargo on it, but. <laughs> hey, if if it's in your top ten, it's there. Listen, if it's one, it's one. You know. <laughs> um. All right. You're so one. my number one, uh, also a darker movie. Uh, came out in 1990. Also Stephen Kim or Stephen King <laughs> adaptation. Um. Oh, yeah. It's called Misery. Yeah. It with is. Kathy Bates and James Caan. <laughs> yeah, you know this one? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I didn't want to say it for you. Yeah, no, I, I love this movie. And as somebody who, uh, you know, I grew up wanting to be a writer and stuff, and then watching this, I'm like, ooh, this is what happens to writers <laughs> if you get really good. Um, you know, uh, James Caan's role, Paul Sheldon, gets caught in a snowstorm, ends up crashing his car. Uh, Kathy Bates is a nurse who brings him back to her cabin to get him back to health, or so you think. Um, but she ends up being his number one fan, and it's just it's it's kind of like that that shining thing of like you're just watching Kathy Bates start out as this this character that seems like she's just trying to help. She's just being the nurse that she is, and then just takes this dark turn. She um, James Con lets her read his uh, recent manuscript of uh her her favorite book series that comes out and learns that he's going to kill off a main character that she loves and so she makes him burn it and start over and just the thing she does 
to keep him there. It's just so dark, but it's another one of those, like, this is pretty creepy, and this is also pretty realistic. This could happen. And it just, it's just, it's dark. I love James Caan and Kathy Bates. I think they're both fantastic uh, in their roles and just fat, fantastic actress and actor overall. Um, so, yeah, that that one is a, is a rewatch frequently, even though it, it gives me the creeps every time. All timer. Um, so here, I, a couple things I want to add to that. Number one, how many people have you hobbled? <laughs> you ever hobble anybody? You ever just snap, put a piece of log between somebody's ankles and just hobble them? No, over no over their bad writing skills. No, you never had a chance uh. to do that yet. Yeah. <laughs> It's so, it's dark. Brutal. I remember seeing that and like, I, I nobody told me about that. I just remember like renting that movie one time and was like, oh, I remember here. I remember here like, um, you know, about it from like, you know, my older, like whether it was like aunts and uncles or parents are like, misery, this is a great one. Kathy Bate, you know, and I've like watched it and I was like, nobody told me about the hobbling. That's disgusting. Yep. And it's just, yeah, Kathy Bates. Um, it's dark, man. Yeah. And you know, but, go ahead. No, just it's, but the, it's it's dark, but it all that's realistic. Like somebody could legitimately do this and keep you there, and you have no control over it. You know, he's got broken limbs, and she's feeding him medications that are supposedly supposed to help him, but they're not. <laughs> Just you know, he can't get to a phone. He can't. He can't get out there. He doesn't even know who to call at this point. And it's yeah, it's dark. Yeah, and so this was um so I mentioned in when I was talking about Cliffhanger about um that was in the subgenre of like films that were die hard on a blank because they had been inspired by Die Hard. And um, you know, Misery, even though, you know, granted it was a you know Stephen King adaptation, but this movie fell into the um fr- it's called the From Hell kind of ju- subgenre of movies, which kind of kicked off with Fatal Attraction. It was like the girlfriend the one night stand from hell and then it became like hand that rocks the cradle was like the babysitter from hell and the good son was like (laughs) the kid from hell and uh and this was one of them it was like you know it was like the fan from hell the uh, the super fan and the and kathy bass was just off the hook and this like you said it is really rooted because you know in the age of you know obsession with you know celebrity and stuff like that mm-hmm. like this was probably not very far-fetched i mean it's like this could have happened to somebody and somewhere along the lines it probably did but yeah, yeah i i love this one i do want to say real quick um can i just read you rob so this was directed by rob reiner who i'm sure a lot of people are well aware of he's done a ton of classic movies can you just just real quick you like just listen to these couple like, that he did like in a row 1986 <laughs> he did stand by me all-timer that's a great movie. He does The Princess Bride in 1987. You know I love that movie. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> 1989, When Harry Met Sally. Oh. One of the best rom-coms ever. And then 1990, he does Misery. 1992, A Few Good Men. That guy it's was all over the place. eating people's lunches <laughs> in the late And, and 80s, hitting all 90s. the different fan bases, too. All you got the different the, like, fan bases. I like the creepy stuff. I like the rom-coms. <laughs> he was smashing it out of the park just a great run of films right there but yeah 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 i like all those movies so great pick with misery i was kind of there was actually a couple that i thought you were gonna put on this list and but oh yeah i I wasn't i wasn't sure but um (laughs) 
So we said we weren't going to list off for as far as like honorable mentions, we weren't going to list off like we won't do too many. We're just going to kind of name a couple each that maybe didn't make it that were like kind of full, full movie based around snow, winter, stuff like that. Because when it comes to scenes, that could potentially be like another list that we would do because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of movies that just have really good winter, snow, ice scenes, but aren't really, you know, based for like based around like the whole movie. Um, so I don't know if there's a couple you want to mention. Yeah. Um, you know, one, one of them that didn't make my list because it's one I haven't seen in a very long time, but I remember uh, it's based on a true story. It's called Alive. It's about the rugby team Hell whose yeah. plane crashed. Yeah. And I just, it's been so long since I've watched it. And it's one of those dark movies that, you know, I've considered rewatching it sometimes, but then I remember how dark it is. And I'm like, do I That's really want movie. to rewatch it? Um, so that was close, but because I hadn't seen it in so long, I didn't know where it would fit in these. And, um, you know, Batman Returns also, it falls into Christmas genre. It falls into yeah. great snow and ice. You know, I, I with, with that one in particular, I really like uh, Penguin's Lair and how, yeah. you know, it's kind of this, it's this area that the water's clean enough in their sewer for uh, penguins to be living and that's pretty cool. But then also he's finding dead bodies <laughs> floating in the sewer too. So how clean is that water? But it's almost like uh, it reminded me of like a zoo setup. Um, yeah. with how like yeah. where, where he escapes and everything. So um, that one was, was up there too. And another one I haven't watched in a while that stands out for me um, is Cool Runnings. But I just I haven't watched it in it's so long. List. I'm not really sure where it fits. Yeah. Um, Loved Cool Runnings. Rented rented that a lot as a kid. <laughs> yeah, I I also yeah I had a live on there. And fun fact, um, you know, a live for anybody who doesn't know is about true story about the Uruguayan rugby team that crashed in the Andes and um had to do some pretty uh brutal things to survive, mm-hmm. including some cannibalism. Yeah, and that was not known to the public at for quite a while after that story came out. Um, Netflix just released a movie called Society of the Snow, which is exactly about that same incident. Really? I would definitely want to watch it, but I got to say, that title sucks. Yeah. That's a stupid title. I'm not, I, <laughs> I saw that pop up and I go, what the hell is Society of Snow? That's a horrible name. And I realized it was about the story of Alive. And I yeah, was like, I would never check those in any way. No, I was like, that's, that's, <laughs> that's a terrible name. But, it sounds more um, like a kids movie of like I know you know we get we got yeah. our our secret club. Yeah, it's a stupid name. That bad bad part there, but um, but it just came on Netflix. And I realized it was a it was another version of the same story. Um, so I would check it out just for that. Um, I definitely had Misery, Cool Runnings for sure. Um, one I didn't put on, but it was from my cliffhanger guy, Rennie Harlan, The Long Kiss Goodnight. Gina Davis and Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, yeah. Love that. You want to talk about badass women just absolutely yeah. lighting people up all movie. Gina Davis and Long Kiss Goodnight. I have not seen that in a long time. Love it. Um, the Assault on Precinct 13 remake, which kind of sucks, but it's still fun. I used to watch it a lot with Ethan Hawke, Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> it's not good. The original, I think, was giant. That sucks. That movie sucks. But I, I love it. And I used to have the DVD. I used to watch it all the time. I was like, I don't even know why I keep watching this movie. I was like, this movie sucks. It's, it's one of those that I've rewatched it because I'm like, this should be good and I should like it. Maybe I just like wasn't in the right mood when I watched it. And yeah, like, yeah. Oh, it was... no, it just wasn't good. No, but it had like it had like a ton of great people in it. I was like, how does it? How was this movie bad? 
That's how um, I felt. Um, I put it on my list for that same reason. Like, it's not a good movie, but it's one that I did rewatch thinking it should be good. Vertical Limit. Do you remember that oh, movie? <laughs> was that with Chris O'Donnell? Chris O'Donnell just needed to stop acting. Bill <laughs> Paxton's sucks. in it, too. Bill it's Paxton like... can never do wrong. He's great. Chris O'Donnell's tough times. <laughs> but it's one of those, like, you know, it's it, it seems like it, some of it could be realistic. Like, I'm sure people who climb high mountains do fall into these snowy abysses and people have to go find them as rescue teams and they have very little time to live. And But, yeah, yeah. like the movie itself, I'm like, oh, <laughs> why? <laughs> Yeah, one of the, one one that was like really dark and um was a really good movie. I only saw it once, so I kind of I didn't want to put it because I, I didn't have a chance to revisit. It, but it was a uh, Winner's Bone. Oh yeah, great, great kind of independent movie. And I want to say that was that was early Jennifer Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Winner's Bone. I'm pretty sure that's based on a book. I th- it might be. Yeah, it might be. I wasn't that that part. I'm not sure. I remember that was like an early um early uh, bright spot for her. And honestly, the only other one I really wanted to put on, but I don't think the whole movie is in snow, but it was uh, Into the Wild. Okay, yeah. Which was a true story. Was that Emil Hirsch? Forget the real guy's name, but um, yeah, he kind of wandered off and became kind of like a nomad on his own and pretty tragic story. But <laughs> yeah, there, there's some, there's a lot of good, there was a lot of good ones. Um, but yeah, as far as just snow movies. That's 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 our tens. Those I, I think I think those are some uh, pretty solid lists. Do you want to run yours down, or you want me to run mine down first? Uh, yeah, I can run through them. Uh, so ten was it. out cold. Nine was Snowpiercer. Eight was Groundhog Day. Seven Hot Tub Time Machine. Six The Cutting Edge. Five Thirty Days of Night. Four Murder on the Orient Express. Three Underworld Evolution. Two The Shining, and one was Misery. Yeah, it was. <laughs> um, all right, my number 10 was Cold Pursuit. Number nine was Hold the Dark. Number eight was Groundhog Day. Uh, number seven, Cliffhanger. Number six was Wind River. Number five was The Hateful Eight. Number four was A Simple Plan. Number three was The Grand Budapest Hotel. Number two was The Shining. Number one was Fargo. I think those are two fantastic number one picks, Scott. Just those are solid number ones. I think those are solid top fives. Yeah, those are those are great. I I, I feel I felt pretty good about that list. I, this was that was a hard. That's a that's a hard. Yeah. That was actually a pretty hard list to make. There was a lot that could have gone on there, but um, yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> so yeah, so that's uh, what's that episode number three. Yeah, wraps us up for three. Um, if you want to follow us on Instagram, we do have Instagram ranked the podcast. It's a way to stay up to date on when we're going to be launching episodes and we give little teasers as to what our next episode will be. Uh, but yeah, otherwise you can get our podcast anywhere that podcasts are streaming. And uh, we'll be back soon with another episode to be determined. And this is ranked. <laughs> <laughs>